Well, good morning. How's everybody doing this morning? Awesome. Hope you're doing awesome. Uh, Before we get started, let's pray together. Father, we love you, and Father, we thank you for your love for us. Father, we thank you for your word. Father, we thank you for giving us a copy of your word. Father, for putting us in a place and in a time that we are able to have access to your word and, and so many resources. Father, a full copy of it. Father, we are so thankful that you have revealed yourself to us in these scriptures. And Father, I pray that for the rest of our lives that we would be diligent and faithful to study your word. Father, I pray that you would help us through the Holy Spirit to understand your word and that you would give us all that we would need to apply your word. Father, we love you so much and we are so thankful for your love for us. In Jesus' holy and precious and eternal name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, Today's sermon is titled, Like a Tree. Uh, The passage for today will be in Psalm chapter 1. And if you don't have something to write with, you may want to grab you a a pen and a a notepad or some paper to write on. I'm going to be telling you a few things you may want to copy down. Um, But as you're flipping to Psalm chapter 1, and before we get started, I want to show you a few things. Last week, I encouraged you to uh, possibly join us in a reading plan this year. If you don't have a reading plan, I would encourage you, encourage you, encourage you to grab a reading plan to read through the Bible this year, whether it be through the whole Bible or whether it be through portions of the Bible. Uh, This year, um, I'm going to be reading through the New Testament uh, with my discipleship group. Uh, we can't meet right now. We haven't. Uh, we won't be able to meet for several more weeks. Um, but so, if you're still interested, uh, because the church is meeting remotely right now, if you're still interested in being in a discipleship group, please let me know um, so that we can kind of schedule that. So that when our D groups do begin to meet, we can figure out a way to get you plugged in. So while you're grabbing your pen and paper, I want to show you this. I'm gonna come down close so you can see. Can you see me? Okay. Um, I'm not getting any money off of this. I'm, I'm going to show you these resources that you can buy if you want to follow along with the reading plan that I'm going to be doing this year. There's a lot of resources you can get online, uh, not through us. You go to replicate.org, and we'll drop that link uh, in the box, so in the comment section, so you can click on that. But you can go to replicate.org. You can download a free PDF file that you can just print out and use. You don't have to spend any money. Or if you would like, they make resources that that are very helpful to follow along with this reading plan. Um, I'll show you. One of them is they make resources for adults and for teens. Here is a book. Get that right. Here's a book, and it's got uh, the reading plan and a little devotion each day. And it's got space down here to write uh, write in your journal uh, as you go through that. And this is what the adults and the teens version looks like. They also make a version for kids. So if you have little kids, they have each day's reading. Uh, they have little exercises that uh, the kids can do and enjoy, and you can teach them about what's going on. Uh, what I'm going to be using, if you want everything just in one neat package, uh, I've got the New Testament version. This is the actual New Testament Bible. It's got the entire New Testament written out um, in, in single column. 
And for each day's reading, it's got a section here with the devotion and a place for you to write your journal. And we're going to be talking about that today. I think these run about $20, $25. Um, I think these run about $17, maybe $16. Not exactly sure. But you can go to replicate.org and you can find those if you want to follow us this year. So. <clears throat> All right, so today's sermon, Like a Tree, and we're going to be in Psalm chapter 1. Let's jump right in. Psalm chapter 1, verses 1 through 6. How happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked, or stand in the pathway with sinners, or sit in the company of mockers. Instead, his delight is in the Lord's instruction, and he meditates on it day and night. He is like a tree planted beside flowing streams that bears its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. The wicked are not like this. Instead, they are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand up in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to ruin. Now this is the first psalm that we have in the scriptures. Now all scripture is given to us by God. Now the psalms were songs meant to be sang to God. And so God actually tells us what to say to him in the Psalms. It's like he gives us what we should say to him. Now the very first song God gives us tells us happy or blessed is the one who turns from evil and meditates on God's word day and night. Verses 2 and 3 said, how happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked or stand in the pathway with sinners or sit in the company of mockers. Instead, his delight is in the Lord's instruction and he meditates on it day and night. And so the very first song God gives us says that we should turn from evil and that we should meditate on his word all the time. And if that we, if that we, okay, If we will turn from evil and meditate on God's word, we will become like a well-watered and deeply rooted tree. Verse 3 said, He is like a tree planted beside flowing streams that bears its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. So this year, I want you to make your New Year's resolution to be like a tree. Not big and heavy and stationary, we don't have to make resolutions to do that. We have to make resolutions not to do that. Matter of fact, gyms make big money this time of year for people resolving not to be like trees. Now, I don't want you to be a knot on a log, and I don't want you to be like a tree in general. I want you to be like this tree, because this tree is strong and healthy. This tree is not easily shaken or tossed about. This tree provides shade and protection for those around it. This tree produces lots of fruit that gives life to others. 
This tree is the steady rock that so many others need in their lives. Someone that others can depend on. Someone that others know they can go to when they're being tossed around by the crazy winds of life. Someone who always has words of wisdom that lead people away from the painful and destructive consequences of sin, not towards them. So I want you to be like this tree. God wants you to be like this tree. He said so. Of the 150 songs that he wants us to sing to him, this is the one he gave us first. Because if we don't choose to turn from sin and meditate on his word for the rest of our lives, then it doesn't matter what else he says in this book. Because we'll never take the time to read it or apply it to our lives. And how can we know what's good and what's evil in order to turn from it? Well, God tells us in this book. So to recognize evil, to turn from it, we first must meditate on God's word and store it in our hearts. So everything hinges on us meditating and reading and understanding the word of God on a regular basis for the rest of our lives. And that's what I'm going to try to help you learn how to do today. Since God wants us to turn from evil and to meditate on his word every day, I'm going to show you how. And it's a very simple process. Here's the process in its simplest form. And you may want to write this down. One, what did it mean then? And two, how does that apply to me now? What did it mean then, and how does that apply to me now? What did it mean then? Well, when you read a portion of Scripture, you always want to ask yourself, what was God trying to teach us when he originally gave us this Scripture? What did it mean way back then? The best way to explain this is by giving you an example of what not to do. Let me give you an example I gave you last year. When starting off reading the Bible, many people will begin from the stance of, what is God specifically trying to tell me from this passage this morning? That's what many, many people will do. They'll take their Bible, they'll open it up, and they'll say, what is God specifically trying to tell me from this passage this morning? And this is what we generally do. We will begin to put things into the text that God never intended to tell us. For example, let's say that you are a teenager and you have some friends text you and say that they're sneaking out of the house and they're going to meet you at your house and for you to sneak out of your window. You, of course, know you shouldn't. But since you're still a teenager, you play the prayer game where you say to God, okay, God, I know I shouldn't sneak out, but my friends are lost. And I could lead them to Christ. And I know that's what you want me to do, right? So I'm going to open my Bible and I'm going to read the first verse I put my finger on. And you tell me what you want me to do, okay? And so you open your Bible 
and your finger lands on Acts 10, chapter 10, verse 20, that says, Get up, go downstairs, and go with them with no doubts at all, because I have sent them. Well, there you go. Or maybe you landed on Exodus chapter 4, verse 12, that says, Now go, I will help you speak, and I will teach you what to say. Do you see why this method is so dangerous? Because when we're looking for something specific in the text before we come to the text, or if we try to say that God is using the text to speak to my specific situation, we will see things in the text that are not there. We will see what we want to see. And I know I used an example of a teenager sneaking out of the house, but as adults, we are all guilty of the same thing. We find ourselves in different situations, but we still look for that mystical element that somehow we are getting a direct answer to our specific prayers through God's Word that truthfully had nothing to do with our current situation. Maybe you don't open the Bible and just drop your finger on a verse. I sure hope you don't. But we will still read a verse that was part of our scheduled reading, and suddenly we'll see something that seems to speak directly to our situation. And many times it will be because we again wanted to see it. We saw something, and our brains immediately made a connection between what we read and what we're going through in life. Now, let me say that that's often a good thing. It is a good thing that our minds can make connections between what we read and our lives. It's a very, very important skill. That is how we apply the Scriptures to our lives. If we don't apply the Scriptures to our lives, then it doesn't do us any good to read them in the first place. But we must be able to know when, that's, that's what's important. We have to know when it's a good thing to make a connection between the text and our circumstances and when it's not a good thing. And the rule is simple. You ready? Only try and make connections between the text and your specific situations in life after, after you have figured out what that text meant then. Only after you know what the text meant thousands of years ago should you try and make connections to your life today. Never try and make those connections first because then you may make the text mean something it never meant to begin with. So our two two rules of studying Scripture were to first ask, What did it mean then? And then second to ask, how does that apply to me now? We always, always, always get in trouble when we don't first ask, what did it mean then? Because the rule is, if that's not what it meant then, then that's not what it means now. The Bible is big enough to address everything we need to know in life. We don't have to try to make something mean something that it doesn't to address our situations in life. So, 
this verse this up, Exodus 4.12. What did Exodus 4.12 mean then? It did not mean, as our example, to disobey your parents and sneak out of your house to go do things that are probably sinful. That is not what it meant thousands of years ago. So if that's not what it meant then, then that's not what it means now. Exodus 4.12 is in the context of God telling Moses to go speak to Pharaoh and then Moses telling God that he can't because he has a speech impediment and he, can't, he doesn't have a good ability to speak. And then God turning back around and telling Moses that he would give Moses the ability to speak. That was the context then. So what was the principle? Why did God include this story in the scriptures? What is it that he was trying to teach us? Well, the same thing he was trying to teach Moses, that if God asks you to do something, big or small, he will give you everything you need to do what he asks you to do. He may give you abilities that you didn't have before. Or he may remove obstacles that were in your way. Or he may send other people to help you. The possibilities of how he does it are endless. But one thing is for sure. If he asks you to do something, he will give you the ability to do it. So how does that apply to me now? The same way it applied to Moses then. If God asks me to do something, then he will give me what I need to do it. How will that apply to my specific situations in my life now? Well, that's going to change from day to day, and it's going to change from person to person. But the principle is the same. So now that you know what to do and what not to do, let's take a short passage and let's work through it. 1 Timothy 6, verses 3 through 10. If anyone teaches false doctrine and does not agree with the sound teaching of our Lord Jesus Christ and with the teaching that promotes godliness, for he is, con- uh, for he is conceited and understands nothing, but has an unhealthy interest in disputes and arguments over words. From these come envy, quarreling, slander, evil suspicions, and constant disagreement among people whose minds are depraved and deprived of, of the truth, who imagine that godliness is a way to material gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out. If we have food and clothing, we will be content with these. But those who want to be rich fall into temptation, a trap, and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, and by craving it, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Now, of course, there is a lot here. And if you are at home studying this by yourself, I would encourage you to take your time reading and underlining and thinking about what it says. I'd encourage you to do that today if you get the chance. But first, our main goal is, determine, is to determine what did it mean 2,000 years ago. Well, let's look at it closely. 
you may have to go back and read it more slowly to catch the context. But here, Paul is telling Timothy to watch out for any pastor who thinks that, uh, minis- that ministry will make them wealthy. Timothy was a pastor that Paul was discipling. And so Paul was warning Timothy to stay away from anyone who thinks that pastoring is a way to get rich. Paul was telling Timothy that living a godly life and being content with what you have is worth more than riches. If you have your basic needs met, food and clothing, then learn to be content with those because the love of money is the reason for all kinds of evil. And by craving it, some have left the faith and ruined their lives. So now that I've kind of helped give you the context, let's read it again. Verse 3. If anyone teaches false doctrine and does not agree with the sound teaching of our Lord Jesus Christ and with the teaching that promotes godliness, he is conceited and understands nothing, but has an unhealthy interest in disputes and arguments over words. From these come envy, quarreling, slander, evil suspicions, and constant disagreement among people whose minds are depraved and deprived of the truth, who imagine that godliness is a way to material gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out. If we have food and clothing, we will be content with these. But those who want to be rich fall into temptation, a trap, and many foolish and harmful desires, which plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, and by craving it, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. So, if we were to study this passage of Scripture for ourselves, what should we take away from it? Well, there's all kinds of what I call coffee cup verses in there. What's a coffee cup verse? Well, a coffee cup verse is a verse that looks good on your coffee cup. 1 Timothy 6, 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain. Verse 7. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out. Verse 8. If we have food and clothing, we will be content with these. And verse 10. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Or as you most often see it, money is the root of all evil. Who hadn't heard that? So those are all good to remember and remind ourselves. But if we have to boil it all down to one simple sentence, what would it be? What was Paul trying to teach Timothy? He was trying to teach him to pursue godliness, not wealth. So how does that apply to me today? It applies to me the same way it applied to Timothy 2,000 years ago. God wants me to pursue godliness, not wealth. God wants me to learn to be content with what I have, not to crave what I don't. And God wants me to realize that godliness is worth far more than gold and silver. So what did it mean then? It meant to pursue godliness, not wealth, and to be content with what they had. So how does that apply to me now? It means for me to pursue godliness, not wealth, and to be content with what I have. And that is the correct way 
to study the Bible. It's that simple. Now, simple does not always mean easy. Some passages of Scripture are not easy to understand what they meant then. But the process is simple. What did it mean then? And only after I know what it meant then can I then apply that to my life now. So what do you do with the passages that are hard to understand? What, what about the passages that you come across and you don't know what it meant then? Well, that's okay. It just means you can't go to the second step. If you can't figure out what it meant then, then don't try to apply it to your life now. If it's not clear what it meant 2,000 or 3,000 years ago, if it's not clear what it meant then, go on to the next verse And then maybe one day, as you continue to study the Word for the rest of your life, maybe one day it will be clear what it meant then. Just apply to your life today what you know clearly what it meant then. So, what about Psalm 1? We started off with Psalm 1. What if we were to study it really quickly? What are the two questions we have to ask? One, we have to ask, what did Psalm 1 mean then? And then two, how does that apply to me now? So let's read it again. Now keep in mind, we're not looking for coffee cup verses just yet. Those are good verses to, rem- to remember. Those are v- good verses to remind you. But when you're reading Psalm 1, you're not looking for those coffee cup verses. You're just trying to figure out overall, if I could sum this whole psalm up in one sentence, what did it mean then? What would it be? Psalm 1, verses 1 through 6. How happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked or stand in the pathway with sinners or sit in the company of mockers. Instead, his delight is in the Lord's instruction and he meditates on it day and night. He is like a tree planted beside flowing streams that bears its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. The wicked are not like this. Instead, they are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand up in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to ruin. So, what did this passage mean then? Well, it means that God wanted his people to turn from evil and meditate on his word. So how does that apply to me now? Well, God wants me to turn from evil and to meditate on his word. If you study the Bible regularly and learn to correctly apply it to your life, then over time you will become like that tree that God described in Psalm 1. Trees grow slow and steady, but over time, they are immovable. Just remember that after reading God's Word, if you think that God is telling you something, ask yourself, is that what God was trying to tell people on the other side of the planet thousands of years ago also? Because if it's not what he was trying to tell them, then it's not what he's trying to tell you. What did it mean then? And then, how does that apply to me 
now. I pray you're able to stick with a reading plan this year, no matter what the reading plan is, and that in that reading plan that you won't just be trying to check off boxes and and trying to get it all read in time and trying to read it, but that you'll slow down, take the time, even if you have to take just a small portion of Scripture a day and know that you're not going to get through the Bible this year, but slow down, take the time to take a passage, read it slowly, read it carefully, and ask yourself, what was God trying to tell people then? What did this mean then? And how does that apply to me now? And I pray that you'll continue that process for the rest of your life. And you will be like a tree. You will be immovable. You will be strong. You will be healthy. You will provide care and protection and shade and provision for others. People can count on you. People will look to you. And that you will show people. You will reflect Jesus to people. You will lead people to Christ and to God. I love you, church. I'm praying for you during this pandemic and during this time. Uh, I ask you to please keep in touch through our prayer group at faithlife.com slash prayer group. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. And Father, we thank you for your love for us. Father, I pray that during this time, regardless of what people's situations are and what their life circumstances are, that you would help them to be able to just sit down with your word and to just take a a bite-sized portion at a time to think about it and meditate on it all day long. To read it in the morning, ask themselves, what did you mean when you wrote this? What were you trying to teach us when when you inspired its writing? And I pray that you through the Holy Spirit will give us wisdom and clarity so that we can understand clearly what it is, why it is you included each passage of Scripture in this, in this book. What is it that you're trying to teach us from each passage? Give us wisdom, give us clarity. And then once we know what it is that you meant when you wrote it, help us to apply that principle to our lives today. We love you, Father, and we thank you for your love for us. In Jesus' holy and precious and eternal name we pray. Amen.